Welcome to the Evolution of Innovation podcast, supplying you with the tools and insights to access your business's full potential. Welcome to the Evolution of Innovation podcast. So today we're really excited to have a friend and colleague, Tim Middleton, with us from Havas People. And again, we have a co-host, Chuck Rude, with us. Hi, Chuck. Hello. How you doing? Good. So, Tim, uh, we met at an event where you gave a brilliant keynote about the future of consumers, the future of work, creating workplaces and brands and value driving from making everything more human. I don't know if I captured that perfectly. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I would probably not say brilliant, but I gave a talk um, at a well-being <laughs> event. And yeah, it's it's uh, a topic that's near and dear to my heart and what my organization does, which is employee experience and trying to add meaning to every part of that cycle. And and not really even just employees, human beings, like you said, um, the, the, the movement away from treating people like automatons to actually understanding that there's value to treating them respectfully. Um, but let me start back real quick and explain Havas. So Havas Group is an advertising agency worldwide. You might know us from famous campaigns like The Most Interesting Man or Liberty Mutual or, or things of that nature. Um, I'm fortunate enough to work at Havas People, which is a smaller agency within the Havas Group that purely, like I said, focuses on the employee experience and, and the cultures of, of companies, kind of diving into what the future of work is going to look like and using what our uh, consumer partners are doing in the, the branding world and translating some of those experiences and those principles and those ideas into actual uh, employer work. Great. So we've been having a really rangy conversation, <laughs> to say the least. One of the the key things that we kind of keep coming upon is brands, say in the last decade, have gotten really tuned up to knowing that the consumers want authenticity. They mm -hmm. want to have brands that are having a social impact. They've wanted to have brands that are really standing for something. So you guys yeah. did a bunch of consumer-facing studies on that. Yeah. But really the next level of thinking is how we're actually incorporating this back to really creating organizations that are agile, able to deal with the imminent changes that are coming, of which nobody seems to really know exactly what's going to be, but we just know the change is going to be big. So how do you yeah. create a company, an organization that's actually really well poised to navigate all of those waters? So if you would talk a little bit about that study, but how you started to extrapolate that over into really designing workplaces, viewing the employee as mm -hmm. consumer. Yeah, absolutely. So, so Havas has for the past 10 years done a proprietary study, like you said, on meaningful brands. Um, and what we're really trying to do there is understand how these brands are providing value uh, to a, a person's life. So beyond just the, the actual functional benefits of a product or a service, what that's delivering, it's also looking at the collective benefits. So what is this brand or company's role in society? Um, and then the personal benefits. So on an individual level, how is this brand or product or service improving my lives? And what's interesting and what we're finding is, just like you said, Sean, consumers, humans, let's just call them people, mm -hmm. um, they are expecting brands to stand for something today. Uh, political activism is actually a really big cause um, in our study. And we've found that 
with the example of Nike or even Adidas or these companies who are actually taking a stand and saying, there's a bigger picture. The, the, the world is beyond just us as a provider of a product or an experience. We need to actually have a say. This has changed um, the interaction between companies and their consumers. And what we're finding in, in my line of work is that the ideas and the, and the way we're understanding consumers really naturally translates to, to an employee's experience. So if you think about you know, all of this data we have, um, all of this information we have on people in general that we're so freely giving up, and a product like Amazon mm-hmm. uses that and makes our experience or our lives so much better, or Uber does, or, or PayPal, or any of these great uh, innovative products that are in the marketplace now, once you get into your workplace, you don't all of a sudden forget how convenient it can be to have your data personalize your experience. But we are really far behind that on the, the employee side of the world. So to look at this study on, on meaningful brands and to understand what these brands are doing to actually make those meaningful connections and improve uh, human people's lives, it's, it's, a, it's a, 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 a pretty logical translation into okay, how can we start to look at the structures of work? How can we start to look at the structures of organization and mirror a little bit of what we're doing on the consumer side to ensure that our employees are treated like humans and understand that there's more value to the work they're doing beyond just the bottom line, that they can actually have a a big role in society. Yeah. So are you saying that what I'm hearing there, which was really interesting, is that the point between consumers and employees really is blurring. Yeah. It's going away. It's it's becoming employees, consumers, everybody is just a human, yep. and they're buying into a brand. Absolutely. Either you work there or you're buying the product. Absolutely. And I think, personally, I, I've struggled with the idea of work-life balance or work-life mix, and I think that's because there is no difference. I don't mm-hmm. want to compartmentalize myself when I'm in the office versus when I'm away, I also don't want my brand to be speaking, the company I'm working for to be speaking to me out of one side of its mouth, but then to the public be speaking in a completely different way. If there are values set out there, if a company is providing a product or service that is setting a certain expectation, and as an employee, I'm not actually experiencing that, I feel really bad. I'm not inspired any longer. I'm not going to be engaged or advocating for the organization. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's really understanding that for the past decade, Sean, like you said, there has been such a huge stride and, and, and step towards really understanding people on an individual level, on a personal level, to provide those experiences for them. We just have to do the same in the world of work, too. We, we have to start kind of stripping down what we've built up in such a rigid kind of functional way and realize that life is more fluid now and systems and processes that are out there are actually great tools we should be using. Now, preaching to the choir here. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and, and this is always something that we deal with is amongst systems thinkers, amongst people who think or maybe more creative, this is self-evident. Mm-hmm. But you bump right up against, if I'm a CEO or accountable for actually having that happen, that can be like, come on, it's already hard enough out there. How Now I have to treat my employees like they're my customers too. Mm-hmm. Or we hear so much uh, negative talk about millennials. They're entitled. They require this. So what would you say to 
the say it's the CEO who just really is overwhelmed by the, that idea that that's just a bridge too far to be able to create that. Well, I don't think you can ever say anything's too far out of reach um, without taking a first step towards trying something. You'll never accomplish it. And and that's just a personal philosophy, a personal belief. You, you have to go for it to, to be able to achieve it. But when you actually start to look at the stats on it um, and, and the bottom line of how important it is to inspire your employees to engage them, which all comes out of treating them like human beings and understanding their, their wants and needs and hopes and fears, you actually get to a place where their productivity increases two times. Their engagement to your actual purpose and your values increases. And as that happens, their tendency to leave decreases. So your spend on rehiring and refilling that pipeline decreases, but also their commitment to your cause and, and what you're trying to achieve becomes stronger. So now you've got an engaged population base within your, your company who you don't have to do too much work to get them to feel inspired and valued and engaged, but that bleeds out and that spreads out. And now they're ambassadors internally. So you've got a, a more committed workforce working harder, cheaper because you're not having to, to, to mm -hmm. refill butts in the seats, but also now they're bigger advocates externally. So I have a great experience at the job place I'm working at. That means that what we're doing is a, is, is, a, is a valuable thing in society. So maybe I'm more prone to recommend the products or services or whatever it is mm -hmm. I'm working on. Maybe I'm actually more connected now with other parts of the organization because we're all feeling inspired. And then that unleashes that cross-functional capability to innovate, to kind of think bigger picture. And I think for a CEO... You're pretty foolish to be putting your head in your sand and, and, and not realizing that there is this population of individuals within your organization who are desperate to be connected to the bigger picture of what you're trying to achieve and who really can contribute in, in any number of ways. So if you're not willing to unleash them, you're going to get lost behind. Sure. So let's say you are a CEO or mm -hmm. you're working for a CEO that is putting their head in the sand and they don't see the inherent value of, of treating the employees in a certain way, or at mm -hmm. least driving driven by the, your brand's value proposition yep. you're giving to the customer. Um, and you're a manager, you want to start to implement these things. Um, a lot of the cost savings you're talking about are more mitigated yep. and diverted costs. Um, how do you, Justify, or how do you talk to your upper C-suite in terms of implementing this program, mm -hmm. getting buy-in? You know, yeah. you're going to save this X amount of money, like, but really, what are you measuring and how are you doing it? I think, you know, for me, always coming from the employee side of things kind of um, filters my view a bit. But what I'm trying to, what, what I would try to say is, is we can actually scientifically measure the engagement levels of your employees to your purpose, to your value, to, to what we're trying to accomplish, we can tie that down to revenue. We can mm -hmm. tie that down to the bottom line kind of unfortunate truth of business. But beyond that, it's, it's, it is some of those softer things, the rankings in Glassdoor or best places to work, the actual investment you'll get if, you, if maybe you're a private company that investors understand you've got a stable workforce who's, mm -hmm. who's staying a little bit longer. So, you know, 
sometimes it's, and Sean, you said this, it can be the, the, the ridiculous kind of long haul to, to try to accomplish those things. So Chuck, when I, when I, when I think about that CEO who's got his head in the sand, who's refusing to do it, I, my advice to the manager or to the part of the organization that has an interest in becoming more value driven, becoming more experience, employee experience led is iterate, do it on your own, pilot mm-hmm. it, and then show based on those results. Okay. Look how much better we're performing. Look how much more we're collaborating. Look how much, um, how much more we're able to understand our place in this organization. And then you bring that back and you say, Hey, listen, I iterated, I piloted, we found a really sweet spot where these values we're communicating and this engagement we're building with our, our employee population, it's actually creating real results in the end. The bottom line is improving. Mm-hmm. And again, then if your CEO ignores that, it might be time to find a different organization, honestly. Sure. Well, yeah. and that's that's the thing we come up against is we love the organizations that are already there, mm-hmm. who have already got that kind of culture built mm-hmm. in. and. We love to put them on a mantle and bring their leaders out into round tables and, and thinking that if I can just get some some of what they got. Yeah. But what people are usually encountering is, oh, I might have a workplace that's got a lot of cynicism and resignation. We're not there yet. Mm-hmm. And so for the middle manager, I find that they may not have the agreement of the people above them. And yet at the same time, they're actually there as a human being, desiring more satisfaction, more fulfillment in their work. And that comes from the quality of your relationships with your team. Mm -hmm. And when that individual person takes that on as a personal matter, then they're impacting their their direct subordinates and people around them. And yeah, if the CEO doesn't get it. Time to go yeah. take that to a place that gets it. Yeah, you and that's know, it's, gonna be and that's where the talent war is won. It's it's mm-hmm. it's incumbent on each of us to understand what we're trying to get out of out of life, right? I'm gonna get a little f- philosophical here, but like a drop drop in the ocean, like anything, one person can have a huge change and ha- can have a huge impact. So you always have to try at least first. And if there is that cynicism and if there is these kind of annoying things that you're butting your head against, you, you can't ignore them. Because they'll never change. Uh, and innovation to me is it's working smarter, not harder. And it's also just never saying, well, that's just how we've always done it. So yeah. once you get stuck in that rut, you're, you're kind of lost. That, that, that hunger and that curiosity that you, you, you maybe once had, it's harder to get back. One negative experience takes, I think it's like 10 or 12 positive experiences to outweigh it. So yeah. it's... It's really important. Like this, it, it does aggravate me to a degree. Like this stuff is so important. And of course, like you said, the big tech company of the world who everyone points to who says, what a great culture, what a great company. Well, you dig a little bit deeper, you peel those onion layers. And it's like, actually, that's not true. But mm-hmm. they had an opportunity. And when they started, they built the truth. And it has changed since then. But everyone still remembers the startup of who this company was. So they're really lucky in that sense. But the reality is, is that most companies are kind of messed up yeah. and it and it takes it takes change agents and it takes individuals who are just going to engage in the brand and engage in the people and say, hey, this could be better. Yeah. Let's make it and better. I think it's um, I would like to highlight and even talk a little bit more about, you know, different opportunities of it. I, I think that idea to try something small, mm-hmm. pilot, test, yeah. get some measurements, um, 
about a year ago, I worked with a CPG company, mm-hmm. and their core team did that bootstrap employee experience yep. project. Um, very little money invested in it, but they built small little initiatives. Went back to their the leadership team mm-hmm. and got buy in and got a little bit more money each time, but slowly but surely. Mm-hmm built up several really great programs that improve the employee experience from anything from wellness to uh, career path navigation. Yeah. yeah. And the yeah. right thing they did there, too, is they involved their people who who know inherently, intrinsically, what that experience looks like and, exactly. and how to fix it a little bit. You know, we were working, sorry to interrupt, but th- like we were working through like what is the employee experience Told them all to get up and go down to the cafeteria and start talking. Yeah. In five minutes, you can get some answers yeah. and come back and be able to actually implement information that you got from your employees' mm-hmm. hands, you know, firsthand. Yeah, and and the, you know, going back to what I was saying, kind of about what the new normal is for employees. There's so much data out there. Mm-hmm. You can start doing. Uh, email analysis to to really understand who's the best collaborators, who are the best managers, who is most efficient with their time. We've got all exit interviews where all of a sudden now there's keywords and phrases and word clouds we can build that are that are uncovering truths that maybe we didn't want to acknowledge. Sure. But it's 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 easy to get lost in all of this and to say, where do I start? And I think, Chuck, you're right. You start small, bite-sized pieces, and and you show that evolution of the work and you show yeah, actually, all the tools we need, all the information we need, all the data we need is inherently within this company. We've got actually really smart people who can use that, who can co-create with maybe an outside partner or whoever to really bring to life who we are. Goldman Sachs did this recently. They completely changed their campus recruiting because they realized, oh, my God, we've got all these genius data scientists, all these great architects, all these great design thinkers in our organization. They know who we are as a company. They know who we need to hire in the future. Let's let them take care of it. And it's a completely changed playbook and, and approach to hiring, and it's been really successful for them. I think that's the one trick we get into when an organization really wants to get a new set of results. We have a lot of data, mm-hmm. which is great. And we can use that to overlook the real value in using that data, but actually empowering the people in your organization. So Chuck, when you said, you know, you actually took employees who were there and said, we're counting on you guys to make our place a better place. Here, we're going to give you some structures and some tools to go out and they go discover it. Now you've engaged that employee. Now they are left with the experience of, oh, my actual employer cares about my experience. This is going. So even though we talk about innovation, and really trying to dismantle it from just being this tech, you know, mm-hmm. thing, or a, to really innovate at all levels of an organization, we can't ever separate it from employee engagement, employee satisfaction, and you know, for people who facilitate this stuff, the answer is always over there with them. Yep. And so, for any manager or executive out there feeling overwhelmed by how do I juggle all this kind of uh, interdisciplinary, you know, thinking in this. That's the beauty of it. When you actually engage people around your values, they naturally come alive. So mm-hmm. there's value there that just had never been untapped, almost like a, a raw resource that's yep. still stuck in the mountain. It's yep. there. Yep. It just hasn't been accessed. So when we... Um, do you want to tell the Cheeto story? Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> so it's so, kind of a great, great... Right on the nose here. Yeah, I, I was sharing just before we started, um, probably we'll... we'll, we'll 
struggle to remember all of the details, but there's a, a great story from, I think, the, the late 60s, perhaps, of a janitor who was working in California at, at Dorito Lays, or Frito Lays, excuse me, um, specifically at one of the, the, the Cheetos factories. And he had just been in his local deli grocery, and he noticed, we got these Cheetos sitting next to all these wonderful Mexican spices. My neighborhood, my community, he was Mexican, my community doesn't eat Cheetos, but they love the heck out of all these spices. So he bought some, he actually took some Cheetos from the production line that hadn't been seasoned yet. He brought them home. He put his own uh, special mix of spices on it. At parties, he starts distributing it. People go ape wild. They're out of their boots for this stuff. It's, it's, it's essentially hot Cheetos he has invented. So he comes back to the to the, the facility where he's working with these things. He's sharing them more. Everyone goes nuts for it. So eventually he's just like, I'm going to call the CEO. Pulls out the directory, calls <laughs> the CEO, which is amazing that he could get actually through to the CEO. The good old days. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> and he schedules an appointment and a meeting. His GM is furious at him. He's not going to help him at all whatsoever. So this guy's uneducated. He and his wife go to the library. They rent a book on marketing, copy the first 10 pages, and do exactly that for their presentation. He, he makes his own fake labels. He really, really like pulls all the stops out as best as he can. So in this presentation, one of the, the other board members asks him, hey, how much revenue increase will we actually get from this? Again, this guy doesn't really know what the answer should be. So he just raises his hand wide and he says, we'll get this much res- <laughs> revenue increase just with his arms wide. Now, what's amazing here is the CEO saw the potential of what this this janitor was working on, realized that there was a bigger market share out there beyond what just their product had been doing. And he stood up right afterwards when other people were snickering at this this janitor with the idea. And he said, you know what, gentlemen? Unfortunately, it was a board full of men at that time. He said, you know what, gentlemen? We need to go out there and stretch. He stretched his arms wide out and he said, we need to make that much revenue. Now, what's amazing is this janitor, and I, I apologize for forgetting his name, he is now still working at Frito-Lay. He's a global, I think, uh, uh, market development leader. Um, and Hot Cheetos has about 35 different varieties now, and it is actually the largest contributor to revenue at Frito-Lay. So if that organization wasn't willing to say anyone could have a good idea, and wasn't willing, and that CEO wasn't willing to stand up for the person mm-hmm. at the bottom of the rung and their idea. Lord knows where they'd be today. We'd all be eating takis, and we wouldn't yeah. be eating hot cheetos. <laughs> but it's 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 that right. It's it's understanding that a good idea can come from absolutely anywhere, and if you're not willing as an organization to make that happen, to make people understand that. They add value. They don't take value from 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 your work. You'll you'll never get those kind of aha, really defining, shifting moments. Well, well it, that's an example of where even that particular story predi- was predicated on somebody managing to get through all those other yeah. potential blockages. Absolutely, and yeah. I think it's well, hard for people now to imagine. You know, there's so many people who their manager is that. Yeah, stop. I, I, I think that's where you can you talk about culture of the organization mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and breeding a culture that says just because somebody below you in the structure yeah. um, has a better idea, they're going to take your job or you're, they're going to threaten you. Like, yeah. in fact, 
by empowering people, you as a manager is somebody there to empower oh, and, yeah. and remove robots. Absolutely. So like that only makes you look better. So you should encourage that culture of promoting. Yeah. And then I think the good companies I've worked with uh, several, actually uh, one or two on actually implementing it, but is mm-hmm. what I call innovation funnel or innovation process that allows anybody in the company or teams to come to the innovation team or specific focused um, accelerator team mm-hmm. to come with ideas and then with clear metrics assistance walk through that process and the validate or devalidate those ideas yeah you know early on those quick tests hey can we quick test this does this actually have validity yes no yeah move forward and the good ones will m- make their way through it and remove the politics it's pure you know customer desirability mm-hmm. company feasibility technical viability you know like do those things come together yeah. and like if they do that's that's the measurements yeah it's not you know who whose team or who it came from well and and that's you know that's i think that's where there are certain organizations now who are completely decentralizing the workforce completely changing the model of work mm-hmm. to get to a place where everyone is a center of excellence sure. and every individual employee is an entrepreneur and is running their own little little business that contributes to the whole and i think if you've got a, a willingness and a culture where yeah, collaboration is cool. And and you know what? I actually want to make more for this company. That, that's great as a person to feel that. But I wanted to go back just briefly to, to the point about that individual manager being the roadblock or, sure. or something. It's people. It's a people thing, right? Yeah. Like that is intimidation. That's fear. That is not understanding that, like you said, if I'm an advocate empowering the 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 person below me, that's only a good look for me. So again, that is a trickle down thing from the top where your leaders, your C-suite, your your premier faces of the organization can't be driving that same type of fear. Sure. And it's 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 the second that that starts to raise its head above the parapet, you have to do something to change it. You have to look at your values again. You have to look about how you're communicating things. Well, Just yeah. couldn't let that. Couldn't, yeah, no, absolutely. No, I, I mean, well, that that is the so the the conversation around. What do you do if you do? Because most companies are, and most organizations have a mixed picture. Mm-hmm. You know, you've, you've got people who are cynical and resigned. You've got great creatives. You have p- things that are siloed. You've got people who are careerists mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who will do whatever it all costs for their own personal gain. Whatever. We all have a mixed picture. So we're talking about, first of all, what are some of the starting points? Because mm-hmm. when we look at kind of the design of innovation, it really is looking at all these phases. How do you actually put a plan in place where a company can really start to make some headway here? Now, the first one we've talked about is what is its value statement? Mm-hmm. Now, some companies are really great about this, and other ones wrote something on paper that got put into a desk the second it was received, Absolutely. and it really isn't alive. <laughs> so I think one of our foundational things first is looking at, is that actually alive for a company? Is it actually mm-hmm. clear? Is it something that needs to be revised or rediscovered or some new work to be done yeah. that is going to put a, a stake in the ground about who we are, why we exist? And I know some of that comes up in your work, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's even tied into the advertising campaign, the internal communication is yeah. like really starting to create a unified world that didn't exist before you really started to articulate it. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's interesting, just like you were saying, is it one founder who said, you know what, this is my values and this is what I want the, the, the company to reflect. Or was it an advertising agency like me who was saying, Hey, this is a snazzy line you guys should use, which is what 
used to happen back in the day. I think we're getting to a place now, fortunately, where as an industry or, or you know, as, as a society, companies have realized they do need to have these value statements. They do need to have these missions and, and purpose statements. Um, so for us, oftentimes the organizational value statement leads down into the, the employee value statement. But other times there is none of that. There is actually no themes. There are no values. There are no purpose behind the company. So in, in kind of the same way you would do any brand work, you, you come to a place where it's actually, all right, we need to do some qualitative, quantitative research. We need to do some social listening. We need to look at where you are in the, in the marketplace versus your competitors. We need to understand the industry. We need to understand actually your people. Use all of that data then, aspirational interviews with leaderships. What actually do you want to be as an organization mm-hmm. in 10, 20, 50 years? Build that whole kind of miasma of data information and then synthesize that into, okay, this is who you are today, warts and all. This is mm-hmm. what we've heard. This is what we've been told. This is what we've found and without you knowing. Here's what we hear you want to be. The reality is you cannot say X, Y, and Z about what you want to be because where you are today, that would be a lie. So here's a strategic plan between communications, between advertising, between restructural organization, whatever it may take for you to actually go from the the, the values or the, the, the statement you are today, the honest truth, to where you want to get to be the aspirational truth. And part of that, the warts and all, is absolutely key. If, if an organization isn't willing to see the negative side of themselves and, and see what actually doesn't reflect well, then they don't have anything to kind of latch onto and start and, and start with. And I, that actually, yeah. for me, becomes one of the easiest starting points is, oh, we thought we were a trustful, uh, an organization full of trust, but actually we're, we're full of cynicism. We need to change how we're communicating with our folks. So one really easy tick box right there. You start to realize when when you compare the reality to the aspiration, it opens up this world of small, low-hanging fruit that you can really mm-hmm. start to, to pick at to, to make that change, to get to that place you want to go in the future. Well, that, that's usually the point where people really get nervous because <laughs> it is a taboo to air out one's dirty yep. laundry. And for us who do this work or I do a lot of leadership development, your starting point is getting out of the way what's in the way. Yeah. And so if you are promoting your brand to your consumers as, oh, we're great, we exist for this, but everybody who actually works there knows that, no, that's a facade, here's what it's yeah. really like, yeah. you only continue to breed cynicism and resignation. Absolutely. I was talking to a, a, an HR person at a ride-sharing company who has gone through <laughs> some certain well-publicized issues. Uh, she talked about addressing her team of 150 people to really air this out. And there were people who were like, you are a heretic. Like, you cannot. And it's like, what are you talking about? They read the newspaper. So I said, hey, we've been failing to do some things around here, and we need to address them right now. And letting people actually speak about Mm -hmm. what it's like for them to Mm -hmm. work for a place where they've had these grievances and these issues, they actually had to hold sessions where they just let people Air it out, vent. Mm -hmm. But that's what's actually required if you are going to look at your ranks of people. Like, how am I going to tap their best? 
oh, these are people who are suffering in my organization. <laughs> they need to be heard. Yeah. If we want to be the real deal, they we need to get be real about what we what's going on now. And yeah. usually that's such a uh, an area fraught with fear that, oh, my God, somebody's really going to say something. Like, no, 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 that's the magic yeah. right there. You, you would much rather someone saying something negative about their experience, your organization, to you than to a reporter, than to Glassdoor, than to a third party who actually can't help impact, affect that change. So it's, it's scary. And it's really terrible to hear what's terrible about you. We've all been mm-hmm. in relationships where that has happened for sure, <laughs> but you grow from that and you become better from that. So it really takes, you know, it takes an ex- executive sponsor who has has a little bit of a backbone to say, you know what, we need to hear these things because we don't know what to fix unless we hear these things. And, you know, the, the Edelman Trust Barometer study, it's like 88% of people believe trust is the, the, the cornerstone of society. Sure. So if you're lying and if you're, you know, your people don't believe what you're saying versus what they're experiencing, you lost them, you know, and, and, and the journey to get to where you want to go is going to become even harder because you're fighting yourself. Yeah. You know, yeah, I actually even hesitate to bring this up, but it's kind of a, a thought I've had about when we talk about millennial engagement mm. and it's, you know, it, the bulk of the conversations out there are so disparaging and so um, disrespectful that this is the workforce of the future. And right now, it really That's the is. workforce right, right now. Right now, yeah. right. Yeah. And there are issues. They, they don't want to stay in their jobs very long. You know, 70% Mm -hmm. are unengaged. They've got one foot out the door. Mm -hmm. They're open. So that's who you've got working for you, somebody who's actually looking for the next step. Yep. Now, you know, there's some data out there. There's a lot of anecdotal evidence that I know is out there that we forget, though, that that was the first generation that was advertised from the cradle Mm -hmm. to train them to be really great consumers. I came from an ad family. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know if that gives me an inside scoop or not. But really, like, yeah. they are targeted from the cradle to be trained to be good consumers. So their entire lifespan has been being plugged with messages that you're the one, you got to be you, be mm-hmm. special, you're the best, you deserve this, you deserve that. And so now when they've come of age, they enter into these workplaces and go figure they actually do expect some of this stuff yeah, yeah. they expect to be actually have autonomy and be their full actualized self because they've been being sold that the whole time mm-hmm. and then they're told once they get into the job oh, hey, oh hey, come hey. on silly silly yeah. come on yeah. now, now help <laughs> us do that to the next generation yeah. as they're watching things around the world fall apart yeah. and they want to impact things and so uh, so many times when I'm really talking to people that's the one common theme is they're always in this kind of like battle with their souls about what they're going to spend their life on and as we actually look at the brands who are really effective and are really making a difference out there, they're actually forging the reasons for their existence mm-hmm. into their idea generation, their employee engagement, into their advertising, into their actual social impact. Yeah. Yeah. And we are moving out of a paradigm of thinking that you just can only chase profits. Mm-hmm. And now people are, you know, so if I'm going to be speaking to a leader, you want to use that commitment that your people have. If you're not listening to that commitment, you're missing out on your own brand value. They could be your biggest supports and advocates. Yeah. If you actually listen for what's going on and what they really care about and can activate that commitment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, your role as a leader is to get out of the way. 
Yep. It really is. Um, Which it, is the good news, too, if you're a leader who's kind of all, a little overwhelmed mm-hmm. by this conversation. Yeah. The, the, the Meaningful Brands study, it's, it's, it's insane to me, this stat, but I, I believe it's 58% of respondents believe that brands will have a more important effect impact on the future than governments. That's insane. That is that it's true. Like I'm, sure. I'm starting to, it is to true, yeah. really, really believe that. And I, and I, and I understand it, but, but that is a paradigmal paradoxal shift. Pardon the interruption. We thought this would be a good place to split the conversation into two podcasts. So please tune into the next episode where we go deeper into the conversation with Tim Middleton about creating vibrant company cultures that pull for innovation. If you'd like to learn more about our workshops or consulting and innovation strategy services, please visit us at evolutionofinnovation.com or email us at hello at evolutionofinnovation.com.